D, and welcome to the User Flows Podcast. My name is Thomas Morell, and I will be your host. This is a show where we'll talk about UX design and UX careers. Today, we are joined by Brian Evans, who is the Senior UX Designer at Encedo Inc. Brian, I guess I'll start it off by just letting you kind of tell us who you are, what you're doing, and uh, where you're headed. All right. Thank you very much. So, you know, as you said, my name is Brian Evans. Uh, I work over at Encedo, which is a both a services and a product company. And uh, I've been working there for about a little over a year and a half. And, you know, we do a really great job kind of providing client services to financial companies, telecom companies, healthcare companies. And then we also build some of our own products like analytics platform and a payment platform. So we, we do a bit of both of kind of that outside consulting, but we are also building platforms ourselves. So it's a good mix of uh, stuff we do. Nice. Very nice. So that's a good field to be in. Healthcare and uh, finance in New Jersey is a <laughs> pretty oh, good place to be. It's huge. <laughs> there was a few reasons why I wanted to have you as kind of the first guest on this show. And number one is that the whole idea for the show was kind of sparked by a conversation that you and I had had okay. a while back. And that conversation was around kind of how do we take our you know junior designers and kind of train them up or take people who were visual designers, UI developers, and kind of teach them or guide them in how to become more, I don't know, full stack or T-shaped designers, whatever you want to call it. So they could run kind of the whole product design spectrum. And after a number of our colleagues got laid off, but I really enjoyed the kind of passion and energy you brought to that. And also the kind of the way you treated people. I always referred to you as the mayor of Newark because. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. So really like one of the first points you hit on was about the, um, like how do we bring up designers, junior designers? And I think it's actually, I think people set their expectations sometimes a little low with people. So you have, you know, these, you know, design itself is a very like multidisciplinary field. So when you think about like who, contributes to the overall design of a product. You have a lot of people, right? You have like the product owner, the designers, the developers, but I think there's a lot, sometimes a lot of people you don't think about. You have like, you know, your legal team and you have operational folks, client success, success folks, all of these kind of folks come in and they have an impact on the design too. So when you have folks with very like diverse skill sets and come from sometimes those tangential areas of design, they end up becoming really strong designers. So that's one of the things that really, I think, leads to wanting to bring in uh, a lot of people to junior designers and really enhance their skill sets, you know? Yeah, right on. And that's definitely one of the things I noticed about you is you're very inclusive, very collaborative. And I really like that mindset. And you you taught me a lot about, you know, facilitating and kind of working with a team. And I really enjoyed that a lot about, you know, working with you is did that come from something else before you got into the to design or is that just kind of your mindset all the time i would overall say like it probably mostly came from uh i mean in college i did like a lot of different like leadership roles on campus you know i was part of like a fraternity we started a bit of a dance marathon so it always was the need in like those volunteer areas to really be very collaborative, keep people motivated. So I think that went a lot into how I try to lead design initiatives from that. 
And then when you kind of take that volunteer one, then when people are obviously getting paid and have to bother with it, it makes it that much better to work with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. So I know a little bit about your background, but I believe you had a background in some kind of accessibility work, which kind of led you to design. Is that correct? In a way. So, I mean, I, I really got my start off. I was a weird 17 year old who knew he kind of wanted to be a yokes designer. So I didn't know that that was eventually going to be my career path. But I had, uh, since I guess I started so early, I had a bit of a winding way there. Um, I guess I really started out, I did start off in like a research lab in college, like a behavioral psychology one. And uh, we were, you know, analyzing apps, doing user research stuff. Um, but eventually through them, I found this group called like Code for America. And uh, that turned me on to this concept of like open data. And what open data really is, is it's this concept that the, the government should have its information accessible to people, right? So I, that got my kind of mind spark towards this idea of like openness and sharing. And then um, later on in my career, I, I found out that, you know, people with disabilities can use technology and the ones who can use technology often have roadblocks and barriers because of the way that the technology was presented. So kind of I thought of this idea of like, there's this idea of open data and the government should be able to share. And then I found, you know, this issue that like government and private corporations at times don't have their website set up in the right way to let the people with disabilities use it. So I kind of saw this natural pairing that like became really interested in that area too. So mm -hmm. um, I ended up falling into accessibility from there because it was a big interest of mine. And then I did that for a while to really gain the skill set. But I did kind of feel like design was still calling me because that was my original intention. So and I uh, kind of weaseled my way onto a UX team to really get my start after my entry level kind of accessibility role, which I loved. I really loved working in accessibility. Okay. And how exactly did you weasel your way in? <laughs> it's actually a funny story. So, I mean, obviously, like I was working with the design team and the development teams a lot when I uh, had my accessibility role at first. And then um, what happened was there was like this big reorg in the company I was at. And um, they needed like a scrum master for like uh, building their design system. And I knew a little bit about Scrum, but I've never really been a Scrum master before. So I, I went, you know, there, there was an initiative really led by like their uh, UX design, like VP at the time. So I, I kind of went to him. I said, well, you know, I could be your Scrum master. We could, uh, you know, kind of set something up. And I kind of talked to my boss about it and we got it set up. So he's like, oh, do you know how to be a Scrum master? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I could, you know, I love being, you know, I know all the Scrum ceremonies and all that. That was a bit of a bluff. Uh <laughs> Basically, that was a Friday, and I think by that Monday, I spent like 20 hours uh, like researching Scrum and Agile processes and trying to uh, you know, make sure I could do it when the time came, you know? <laughs> Very nice. Well, it all worked out in the end. So the accessibility thing, which is a hard word for me to say, has really kind of been on my mind lately. When I first started uh, working where we worked together, I didn't know much about accessibility. Most of what I designed was really kind of really kind of flashy and just really very much kind of visual focused and we never really gave a ton of thought to accessibility, which we really should have, of course. But now in the last uh, year or so, I've had two children diagnosed with dyslexia mm -hmm. and it's really gotten me thinking a lot about, you know, how to make things easier for people. 
um, who have trouble, you know, reading the way we read, consuming information, the way we consume it. And so I've been thinking a lot more about it lately for those kind of uninitiated to web accessibility. Could you kind of dive into that a little bit as to the, what it is and why it's important? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the why is simple. I mean, if we aren't intentionally making our sites and experiences inclusive to people with disabilities, we're ex- maybe, maybe it's not intentional, but it is explicitly discriminating against us because, you know, if you, if we, if we create these experiences and people can't perceive them or understand them or operate them, we're leaving people out of the picture who, for just the reason of a certain way they are, which is a, it's a big ethical issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it really comes down to decency, but I think part of the problem that exists is not until you're in a professional and corporate environment for a while, you may not even come up with this. Like there's a, a challenge where these kind of concepts aren't always taught at schools even, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely something that went completely missed uh, in my schooling. That's for sure. Even in, um, so I went back after many years of working in design and kind of put myself through an HCI course, um, through a big name university. Um, it was a great course but we did not touch on accessibility at all. Yeah, I also have like a bachelor's degree in HCI and we maybe we we did briefly touch on it in like an extracurricular kind of activity. Okay. Never really during any of our actual core classwork. So I think another thing that does help kind of like you were saying is once you like know someone who has a disability who gets impacted by technology, then you begin to think about it a lot more. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And some of kind of the, I guess, the comments I see around on the different design blogs and stuff is like, well, you know, why should we focus that much? It's really kind of niche, but it's really not. (laughs) It's really quite a large group of people. Well, not only is it a large group of people. So, I mean, if you look and, and you really count all the different folks who get impacted by web technologies, it is actually a huge swath of the population. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I think what, some people forget about accessibility is like when you make your sites accessible, you're also typically making them have better search engine optimization. You're also making them uh, you're, you're kind of error proofing it in certain ways for other folks. And, you know, disability is also kind of one of the only kind of protected categories of folks that you can fall in and out of also, right. If you end up, let's say, you know, breaking your arm, right. That's even something where you may need some type of assistive technology, right? right? So what it comes down to is is like when we make things accessible to people, we're also just building better products overall. And there are these kind of side and tangential benefits to making accessible sites as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Like instead of, you know, big, large blocks of copy having, you know, that translated into something like video or audio content. Um, is a perfect way to kind of make it accessible to even more people and also to just anybody who wants to view it a different way. Yeah, we used to have um, kind of like what to that point too, it does work the opposite way too, where usability is so crucial to accessibility because if you have like a usability problem on your site, when it gets rendered by that assistive technology, 
you can end up with maybe just a usability problem. But then when you talk about how it is to like an assistive technology, you have an accessibility nightmare. Right. So I guess if somebody wanted to learn more, say somebody who's been working in the field or somebody who's getting introduced to the field of UX and product design, what's like the best resource for them to go to, to really dive into this? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to talk whether you're kind of like paying for the educational pieces or are you kind of a self-starter? I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, kind of like webinars and, and kind of educational resources in the free space. Mm -hmm. But if you do want to go the paid route, um, so like DQ is a consulting company and they have a bit of an accessibility training course. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, WebAIM is another one they have, well, at least before the pandemic, they had these like offsite workshops out in Utah that were uh, very popular. I know. And then um, I know there is a there is a professional association around accessibility called the uh, IAAP, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals. So they probably also have some uh, paid and unpaid like research or uh, training kind of modules. But then there are things on like LinkedIn Learning and you know Coursera things like that too. Very cool. Yeah, and I'll try to find those links and I'll you know attach them to the show notes. I appreciate that. So. Looking back to when you first kind of got started, is there anything you kind of wish you had known as you kind of made your way into the UX field? For me, I it was really a lot around like, so I, I started off as a UX designer who had really good concepts for like wireframing, but not always visually. Um, I would have probably urged myself to take a little more of an interest in the visual design part. That took me a little longer to grow than my other skill sets, I would say. Okay. Uh, because I'm, I'm someone who really does, I do want to, I always like to try to fill that full stack role where I'm really kind of doing all of the parts of it um, and really kind of seeing things from the front to the end and finishing that off. So I love going all the way from research to visual design. Mm-hmm. So if I could have gotten into the visual design part a little sooner and had a little more confidence in my ability to that, I remember it was a little anxiety riding to to start doing visual stuff after I've never seen myself as an artistic kind of person. That was a little difficult for me. So I'd say just believing in myself there a little more and not having that imposter syndrome creep up on me. Yeah. And that imposter syndrome, I think that's something everybody deals with. Like I was, I guess, the opposite of you where I came from visual design and then worked my way into UX design. So, you know, leading like a research project or leading, you know, facilitating a design sprint or something like that, which I have to thank you very much for, for helping me kind of learn how to do that. Um, oh, that was a blast, man. That, that, was, a that program was a blast. That was a so, blast. So what I'm talking about is we, at, uh, at our last company, we worked together. There was uh, me and a coworker, her name's uh, Karin. We, uh, started up a big training program in the company to teach people how to run those kind of Jake Knapp sprint book sprints. And uh, those were, uh, it was really fun. I think we trained almost like 200 people and, and Tom did a great job uh, getting a lot of our kind of training and reference material together and helping us with that. Yeah, that was a blast. That was not what I expected would be my first project uh, working there, <laughs> but it was definitely a uh, one to remember. And it's something I still use, um, you know, fairly often. If it's not, you know, facilitating a full design sprint, it's, you know, taking one of the exercises from that and doing just a quick, you know, little workshop um, comes in handy all the time. 
Yeah, I really hope that book is like completely mandatory for every HCI and UX student at this point. <laughs> yeah. That is, a, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Absolutely. I want to kind of hit on, you know, what it's like to work in the field of a UX designer. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, kind of the opposites of each other. You know, what is the highlight of your career so far? And what is the absolute worst thing <laughs> that's happened thus far? Yeah. Um, so I would say personally, like the, one of the main highlights of my career, well, it's not even one, but it's like these moments you have when you're developing as a professional, where you start to expand on a new skill set. I'd say those are cool. Like I had a point where I was able to take on my first intern and, and kind of manage them a bit. And then I recently had a point where I was able to bring in my first full-time staff who reported to me and you know, going through performance reviews and things like that, it really kind of um, makes you feel good. It's like, it's also kind of like when you launch that product, that kind of instant rush of dopamine you get, that like instant satisfaction of like, oh, I made that, or like, <laughs> oh, I did this. Those are, there's a lot of them, but it's like, there's like these continual highlights that happen when you're working, which is always really great. I love that. Yeah. And then when it comes to the worst side now, I mean, it's always could be tough when you have like uh, a tough client, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I always think the things you want to avoid in your career, are making sure that you, the your services are wanted in a sense. So sometimes, you know, someone might be kind of forced to collaborate with you. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, they aren't really looking for your help, though. They have their own vision and they just want you to execute that. If you're a designer like me, who I, I really, at the end of the day, I really do put like the kind of whole heart and soul into motion into it. I'm not someone who's like a great production designer. <laughs> I really <laughs> like to kind of put myself in there rather than um, be dictated a solution. I have, I've had to work with those folks before and I do struggle with that. So those are, I'd say, are some of my worst times. Okay. And so you brought up interns and I remember... Uh, working with you, you kind of ran the whole intern, um, I don't know what you even call it, kind of program. So you went through, you looked through their resumes, their video introductions and everything. So for the people out there who are looking to you know, get their first internship or do that, kind of what are the things you look for in an intern the most when they're trying to introduce themselves either through resume, video, um, portfolio, et cetera? Yeah, for me, it's it's... So it's a combination of things. I love to see people who think outside the box a bit and get very creative with it, especially if you're going to be a UX designer. But I like this a little bit of creativity matched with a little bit of like that kind of raw, unadulterated passion. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, the interns that we had uh, kind of at our last company, they were all very kind of fantastic. They were all extremely passionate. They were hungry. Like it's, I really look to see that interns are hungry to do great things and not shy away there. Those are always the uh, ones that I look to bring in. And they can be hard to find though, you know? Yep. Um, I, I love, there is this kind of instance of a, um, I heard about, and I've never worked at Home Depot, but I heard there was this like intern at Home Depot once who sent in their like resume as a toolbox and in the toolbox they had like a wrench and you would like pull down a little sheet on the wrench and it had like all of their work experience. And they had like, I don't know, like a pipe and it had like their GPA on it or something, but literally their resume was a toolbox. Like that kind of yeah. stuff I'm a, I'm a sucker for. That's awesome. Yeah. I saw one the other day where a copywriter 
sent a, uh, you know, a creative director, a Venmo request for $50,000. And that was his uh, job application. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, so what is your kind of, I guess, biggest inspiration in your career? I mean, I, I'm inspired every day with like folks that I work with and, and like the folks that really have subject matter expertise in the areas. But like in terms of, I guess, like designers who inspire me specifically, um, the number one that comes into my head is probably Jared Spool. He, wow. he has a really great mind around design. I love how he thinks about the scale and order of design, looking at from like this like organizational level to this ecosystem level and then all the way down to like the screen level, that stuff. I'm uh, I don't know. He just kind of speaks to how my brain works, I guess. Yep. yep, yep. Um, in terms of the impact they're having on the world, I think uh, Whitney Questenberry, who from the center for uh, civic design in, in okay. New Jersey, she's doing great stuff around designing ballots and elections and, uh, vote like automatic voter registration forms. I, I think she's probably the biggest secret who's having the biggest impact on the U.S. right now, and she's doing really great stuff. So she extremely inspires me. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard of her. That's great. Love to be introduced to new people. I hope I said her name right. I'm actually terrible with names. <laughs> but she's awesome. If I did, and she's listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We'll try to research her and get it right in the show notes or if we can. <laughs> so if you were, you know, talking to a group of students, um, just getting started thinking about doing either, you know, general assembly or one of the other kind of boot camps or going to college for UX, you know, kind of what would you say to them? What would be, you know, what would you tell them their mindset had to be? Yeah, I, I would say this. I would say you know, do look at the program you're entering and, and the financial responsibilities that are around it. Obviously, traditional colleges are expensive. One thing that is nice about some of these traditional college programs is they do let you go pretty deep. Like in my BS of HCI program, I was able to take a database in class. I learned how to develop. I learned psychology. I took an improv class. I actually thought the improv class probably taught me more than anything else about UX. Okay. And I'm not even being sarcastic when I say that. But you do really get a multidisciplinary kind of approach to design when you do these bachelor programs. Yeah. But, you know, they're also cost a lot of money. So you do have to make that consideration. And, you know, what could you learn outside of school, too? So, I mean, I think there's also a really good use in some of these boot camp kind of programs. Um, I mean, Jared School has a really in-depth two-year uh, program through this, this group called Center Center. Mm -hmm. And it's spelled like, I think, the American way and then the British way or something. But uh, that program looks amazing. I've never uh, really engaged with too many folks from it, but it, it looks really awesome. Um, but I definitely have worked with a lot of like career foundry, general assembly people. And, yep. you know, I think with those, you have to realize that you're getting a very focused education mm -hmm. and then you need to take your own responsibility to branch out and be multidisciplinary because when you're just doing the boot camps, it can be a little tough immediately transitioning into the career field. So you need to make sure that it's you're more than just like a cookie cutter designer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What's funny is you're not the first person I've heard talk about the uh, improv as being really helpful when moving into design, which is kind of funny. And I guess it's that whole concept of the yes and where you kind of take somebody's mm -hmm. comment, no matter 
how outlandish or crazy it is and kind of build upon it and keep it moving. Right. It's iterative. Yeah, you know, yeah. improv is iterative and design's very iterative. That's really interesting. I'll maybe I'll have to sign up for an improv class. Never thought about that before. Yeah. <laughs> me and uh me and another designer from our last company, Karin, yep. we actually did present at uh, Agile Camp like two years ago and we had a an improv talk. Oh nice. about how I how agile and design and improv all kind of work together in harmony. Okay. Well you you should reprise that uh that talk and do it again. Cause I'd love to hear it. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, what's on the, what's on the horizon for you? What's next? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, right now I've just been kind of, uh, rising the ranks where I'm at here at Encito and, uh, they've been a really kind of great company so far, really enjoying the team I'm working with. They're really bright people, especially, you know, we, so we have a great design studio. We also have a very great um, data science team. So I've been learning a lot more about this kind of quantitative analysis and how do we, you know, do things like machine learning and AI and bring that into our features better. So that's been a great outgrowth opportunity. I'm really hoping after the pandemic to uh, get out in some more speaking engagements, um, going to more conferences and, you know, potentially even giving some workshops. So oh, fantastic. that's definitely uh, on the horizon. <laughs> Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing the same. Um, it's been about a year, I think, since I went, well, more than a year now, since I went to my last uh, conference. And that one was a game changer for me. I loved it. And I can't wait to get back to meeting with people like in person. But it might be a little while yet, but we'll get there. Um, yeah. Back in November, I went to the, I think it was either, I figured it was Miro or Miro, but one of the kind of online collaboration tools. Oh, yeah. They had... And I thought that would be pretty appropriate considering. <laughs> so it was really great to kind of go and see them. Nice. nice. So I would have to bring up uh, the beer because Absolutely. it was fantastic. And I appreciate you you know, making the trip you know, during a pandemic to bring me a six pack of beer. That was very thoughtful. <laughs> so uh, tell us about the beer. How'd that get started? Um, so yeah, I mean, last January, me and my friends were like, wouldn't it just be cool if we started making beer? So we started making some beer back in the kind of early January of 2020, February. And, uh, you know, we made a few terrible batches of beer that, you know, barely had any alcohol and <laughs> kind of tasted a little off. But then eventually, you know, we kind of just sucked to it. We each kind of, and, and, you know, it's actually funny. It's a group of designers who did it with like a mechanical engineer and some other smart folks. But, uh, you know, essentially we each kind of picked an area to specialize in. And then, uh, next thing we knew our beer started coming up better. <laughs> so I, I was the yeast man. I can tell you a lot about yeast. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Well, I did. I love the labels. I love the characters, the bears all over the beers. Um, it's fantastic. I do have a confession to make is that I just finally last night drank the cranberry one because I was a bit scared of drinking a cranberry beer. I was afraid I wasn't going to like it. And so up until last night, pockets was my favorite. But all right. That's our, that's our cornerstone one. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta tell you though, the cranberry one, I think might be now my top. That's awesome. That one was, uh, our good friend Evan's recipe. Okay. He did good on that one. Very and then nice. <laughs> uh, our friend uh, Tej, he's a uh, actually a uh, environmental engineer. 
he came up with the idea for that label and I helped him execute it. So it was good. It was like a polar bear jumping off of like a side of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Polar bear plunge. Polar bear plunge. That's what it was called. That's right. Perfect. So anything else you'd like to, you know, say to the people out there, hopefully listening to the show? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I think, you know, your show is mostly targeted towards growing UX designers. So I would say be aware of what imposter syndrome is, but don't let it get the better of you. Um, And just know that when you do have those feelings, it's more likely to be imposter syndrome and not likely to be that you're a terrible designer who's never going to succeed in life. So just remember that's the little imposter in your head talking and they're suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so that, that's, I guess, the big one. And then beyond that, just be a sponge and be very driven and just always try to not perform to the level that like you're at, but the level you want to be at. So always try to think, how do you go forward and take that next step without anyone telling you? Be that kind of self-driven person. Oh, that's great advice. Thanks, Brian. appreciate that. And so where can people go or where should people go to connect with you if they want to no more. So um, you can definitely go to my LinkedIn, which I'm uh, Brian Evans UX is my little LinkedIn handle. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, Brian A11Y. Nice. But just a little shorthand for accessibility. Oh, very nice. But uh, those are two spots. Also, you can follow, you can directly reach out to me, and my portfolio is bevans.design. And that'll go right to my email. There's a little contact button. Very cool. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Um, thanks for being the inaugural guest um, for this show. Hope you're going to have a lot more people soon. And some of the people we mentioned tonight, I'm definitely going to invite on. So I look forward to speaking to them as well. It's and, great. It's like your listeners are needed to meet our whole crew. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, I tell you what, working with you guys was a big opening to me because I was always kind of the sole contributor. So working with you and the rest of the team really opened me up to actually like talking to other people about design, which was really exciting. And so uh, definitely I appreciate you guys for that. And now you have a whole podcast. Man, how times change. <laughs> yep. And so, I mean, and honestly, like that conversation we had is kind of what led to this. And then I started mentoring UX students and I thought, you know, how do I scale that? And uh, thought the best way to do that would be to invite people like you onto the show to just talk about design and how you made, you know, a career out of this. So. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the best career that I could have ever gotten. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Thanks, man. No sweat. This is great. Okay. Thank you so much for joining the first initial User Flows podcast. Um, special thanks to Brian Evans for joining me um, today. It was really great to get all that um, input from him. And we'll try to do this, say, once a week, once every other week. Uh, We'll have UX designers, product designers, uh, leaders from all walks of life come in and talk about their experience, share that with you, and how you can apply that to your own career. As you may have noticed, I am new to podcasting, so I will try my utmost to make the quality of the audio and everything better as I go. Should you have any tips for me, please reach out. And also, if you have anything you'd like to talk about or hear about, please reach out to me. Probably the best place to do so is on Instagram at userflows.live. Again, thanks so much for joining, and we'll talk to you next week.